Any thoughts expressed on this podcast are opinions. There are no accusations. There are no facts. This is for entertainment purposes only. Thank you. Welcome to Strange Truth, where we try to make sense of today's issues and hopefully find some solutions. In this episode, I speak with Brian Bissner. It was supposed to be an interview, but turned into more of a conversation. Hopefully you will enjoy this and maybe learn a thing or two. Brian, would you tell the folks a little bit about yourself? Uh, my name is Brian Biskiner, and I'm an engineer in uh, Michigan, and uh, just known Steve for a long time. And and uh, I have um, my claim to fame, if I had any claim to fame, would just be an information junkie. Um, you know, I'm uh, like many on the in the uh, podverse. Uh, I'm an amateur uh, scientist, philosopher, political scientist, uh, etc. You know, just love to learn about stuff and, uh, and discussing it is, is fun too. I consume an enormous amount of podcasts and YouTube videos. And, um, I have, uh, you know, come to, uh, really enjoy learning about things. Uh, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I, I certainly, um, have taken the time to learn about many of them and, uh, amongst other things. So I definitely look forward to the uh, conversation. Thanks very much. Um, so I was um, interested by your by your take on the subject matter of the first episode, which is the Epstein saga. I was really interested by you, by your response to that. <clears throat> yeah, and I and I do agree with you that it is one of the most important things. I mean, you 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 know we have to get through the election, and there's 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 all these other there's all these different other uh, where the rubber meets the road kind of things that the media has to cover and will, and will, and will take up their time. But I, I do agree that uh, Jeffrey Epstein, I think could certainly are you wrong needs to be righted here. Um, and we need to get it all out where we can all see it and understand it as well as we can. So we don't speculate on it add facts and fill in details where there are none. Uh, but I definitely believe there's a, um, a connection here between um, a compromisable human being, morally compromisable human being with uh, that attains some power through money and other means and that, that I think uh, was used by intelligence to compromise other people uh, politicians or intelligence people from other countries or whatever, and video video them, or maybe even in our own country, um, and uh, you know they essentially stated that. And in, in the uh, prosecutor from Florida in 2007 said uh, he was told he was intelligence. He's supposed to leave him alone, so they cut him a sweetheart deal and and all that. To me, that was a revelation a couple of years ago and. When he left the scene, and I forget the role he played in the Trump administration, but um, I think there's a rabbit hole here, and I'd I'd like to and I'd like to know more about it. I'd like to have that little black book opened up and find out who's involved, and and because uh, the pretty sure the important people that can be hurt the most right now are being held back, and you know Prince Andrew and Bill Clinton. While those are very 
extremely important and formerly powerful people, their, their relevance is diminished. Um, but I want to know um, the others in that black book. So I, I really think that this is a very important story. And, and I think it'll shed some light into what powerful people do. So do you, you said uh, Epstein was compromised. Do you think that he is another basically pawn in the game? Um, I think he's a willing pawn in the game. Yeah. Uh, so far, I, you know, I'm speculating here because there are limited details, but there's plenty of press recounts, accounts and, uh, you know, some people are just um, custom made to be used this way by intelligence. Like I was kind of missing, mentioning to you the other night that he's probably not that overly remarkable, but he, he probably got moving around in the right circles. Uh, I'm not sure he was groomed early on, but maybe he was, I don't know. Um, and I think uh, he was a guy that could be used in a way to procure young girls and get them around people with compromised uh, moral compasses, we'll say, and, mm. and uh, get them doing stuff so he could videotape it and record it or, or whatever he's done. You know, the reports mm. are that he had quite a, surveillance system and uh, i bet you he's got the goods lots of people so I, I i really think we need to know that because um at the moment i kind of think this is a intelligent asset run amok i mean i don't think i think they wanted him to do certain things but i think he went off the reservation i think he his own uh personal predilections got in his way and he felt and he had all the money and the power and he just kept rolling mm -hmm. because in my opinion, generally, these types of people are small timers, and we don't hear about it. Mm -hmm. I think. This so your feeling going... is, sorry, your feeling is that he is a uh, kind of a government contractor employed in order to gain assets for the uh, intelligence agencies to exploit human assets. In other words, yeah, and uh, I, I believe so. I, I don't know. I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg. Was he? Was he doing this already, you know, um, or and, and they found out about him or did they groom him for that? I don't know. But uh, it appears to me when you have very, very powerful people mixed up in drugs or sex or whatever, they become compromised and then you can um, threaten them with that information and get in for political means and other means. So I'm I believe this goes on since time immemorial and and it goes on today, I would say. But I think this guy was not the norm. I think he is unique in in the amount. Uh, I mean, the private islands and and all this. I just think it's just mm -hmm. it's run amok. And but I think his origins are that uh, he probably was an intelligent asset. Mm -hmm. It's admitted he was. Uh, so so we really need to hear about what our government's doing. Yeah, I find it really interesting. So your feeling is that this happens all the time. I think I, I can agree with that. I, yeah, that's what I, that's what I think. It kind of, it probably ran amok. I think this is, this is normally much more on the DL. Um, the intelligence agencies don't want this guy around. They don't want what he ended up doing. You know, they, they don't want anyone to know about this. The, the intelligence agencies regularly solicit, uh, international business or contractors or for perfectly good reasons. Private citizens get um, 
they kind of get woven into the fabric of uh, or in proximity to bad actors from other countries. Uh, you want to know. We, we find out so much stuff from that. But uh, I do also know that let's let's think of a local sheriff's office when they send in sheriff from Smokey and the Bandit, uh, Jackie. Oh, Gleason. yeah, Buford. Uh, yeah, Buford, Buford T. Justice. Justice. You know, so when Buford T. Justice is is asks or or is put in plain clothes and he goes into a massage parlor to see if they're given happy endings and engaging in prostitution. I mean, that it's it's the same thing. You're you're or 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 working with. A, you know, this is intelligence gathering to find out if there's law breaking. But guess what Buford T got after his uh, in the, you know, in the interest of justice. Guess what Buford T got before he walked out of there? Go uh, sloppy hand job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, but but those those things happen. Things run amok, run awry. They, you know, so I kind of think Jeffrey Epstein is a scenario that uh, I, and I don't know which came first him or them as far as like grooming him or he was already underway they saw a guy that oh man look look at the guys he's hanging with and look what they're doing we can exploit that and, that, and that's kind of why i think it is mm-hmm. now um earlier you said something about not being a conspiracy theorist and i think conspiracy theorist is a derogatory term that's meant to discredit people and meant to indicate a certain level of let's say um gullibility and fringe thinking and a lack of credibility is that what you meant when you said you were did not consider yourself a conspiracy theorist? I I mean it in kind of the street uh, usage. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what else to call the other people <laughs> that are that are really trying to. Uh, we'll call them podcasters, citizen mm-hmm. journalists, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. But when I say conspiracy theorists, I mean I mean flat earthers, mm-hmm. whack jobs, so to speak. Uh, For, to to use a technical term, Steve, yeah, whack job. <laughs> Are there any so-called conspiracy theories that you once thought was, uh, you know, fringe whack job material that now you have adopted as the truth? I will say this. um, The Kennedy assassination was a conspiracy Uh, project. I've already forgotten the name, but Northwoods. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. Northwoods. Yeah. Project Northwoods. Uh, And let's, let's say that for your listeners. Uh, That was the, uh, in the early 60s, the Joint Chiefs and staff trying to convince John F. Kennedy to to perform false flag operations in southern Florida so that uh, they could justify an invasion of Cuba to oust Castro. And that, that meant Americans killing Americans mm-hmm. uh, by America and, and Kennedy, uh, to his... Um, credit uh, said to hell no with that. I would invite anyone to listen to his his speech at the UN. In about a five year period, in my opinion, we had such amazing uh, warnings from Eisenhower, Eisenhower and mm-hmm. uh, and John F. Kennedy about the mi- military industrial complex and all that. There are conspiracies, and there's and there's some nasty ones. And uh, Tuskegee, you know, yeah. Uh, but uh, often we find out about those later. Well. Let's say, let's say Northwoods uh, might have been a conspiracy theory based on some information that leaked out. But then finally, finally, when they released the information after 50 years or whatever, those conspiracy theorists that were saying, oh, look, they were trying to do false flag operations in southern Florida. Those conspiracy theorists were proved right. You know, so, then, so it happens. It, it does happen. Uh, I've come to have not high regard for 
the Jewish Masonic um, Illuminati conspiracy cabal, uh, uh, you know, less and less over time. Mm -hmm. um, you can very easily show um, money being a, an avenue for power in those people. Um, maybe at one time around the turn of the century, you had a, you had a hefty European Jewish elite class with a lot of money because um, they were just good with it because guess what people were uh, killing them and and uh, um, discriminating against them for centuries and so they bonded together they created wealth and kept it in the family so I, I don't uh, I don't begrudge them for that I don't think it's a conspiracy mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a natural outbreak of anti-semitism in Europe and then the Masons you know, the Masons, I think, are just kind of an elite club that anytime you're secretive, you're going to breed conspiracy theorists. Mm -hmm. and but how most, secretive are you when you actually have your symbols on the rings that you wear and your <laughs> license plate on your car? Sure. But there are some secret societies out there. One, one that always intrigued me is the Skull and Bone Society, because, I mean, imagine if you are you're the scion of a wealthy and powerful family you know, and you're a millionaire, 20 year old, you know, you can do whatever you want. And then you go to college and you're surrounded by people who are looking for adventure. You know, that's another level. And then you can join a fraternity and that's another level. But like when you have to join a secret society that's limited to only the sons of senators and you steal Geronimo's skull and you masturbate in a coffin. I mean, what, <laughs> what the hell, what is that? Uh, yeah. Who needs to be part of that? And then does that need to be our president as well? And then when uh, you look at the roots of the OSS and CIA being embedded in that, it's really, really interesting. I find. Um, it, it, it is. And I totally agree. But um, all I would say is, is there could be a conspiracy there. I'm not saying there's not, but it, this is a natural marriage of extremely powerful, rich and educated people being connected to the higher levels of government. This has always occurred. And then in as far as the OSS, you know, these, these people are going to be international bankers. They're going to be, right. uh, you know, these people, the powerful people have always done this since time immemorial. And to me, there's no surprise that there's some kooky club at Harvard, you know, you know, but the, the thing about that kooky club at Harvard, you, you've got skull and bones, you've got every kind of conservative or liberal or whatever that have gone through there. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bet that it's, it's mainly elites connecting with other elites and, in and of itself, that's there's nothing nefarious with that, but they are hoarding opportunities and money, and they are keeping their elite dealings elite. But, uh, I, I don't necessarily know that there's a conspiracy there, but anytime it's secret or purported secret, I think there's lots about that that has come out. Mm -hmm. But um, on, on exactly what they do, I, you know, I look at George W. Bush, and and I and uh, he's such a Yahoo. Um, Mm -hmm. that uh, I just, I, I think of the skull and bones as just a club for elite people. Most of the time, some bad has come out of it for sure. You know, there's some bad actors in there without a doubt. I remember when Tim Russert asked George W. Bush and Carrie, you're both bonesmen and now you're running for president. 
tell us what is skull and bones like and they and they didn't say anything he asked the question and then a year later he turns up surprisingly dead at a pretty early age you know that was uh to me and i'm not saying that's a conspiracy i'm not saying they had it murdered to me that was just kind of really a funny coincidence yeah i had written down a couple of questions i've asked all of them except for this one i just don't know how to work it in i just heard on a youtube video jack dorsey saying under oath that he doesn't think twitter has the power to influence elections oh yeah i watched that what do you think about that um that was the worst answer he could have gave. Yes. I, I think I think you have to admit that, yes, to some extent, Twitter, like any news source viewed by millions of people, you can have an influence. I will agree, depending on what information is broke on Twitter, um, I will agree with him that, in general, you could say that, no, Twitter isn't going to totally change an election. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I think, so the answer is it could. I don't think it did um, this election. I don't think it's really done it in other elections. I think there's so much media out there. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a wash of information. But, but yeah, Twitter, Twitter can and could. But in general, I don't think it's, it's made a, d a difference enough to actually swing a whole, at least the presidential election. I, I don't, I have not paid attention to how it might have worked in other states or anything like that, but maybe it didn't actually do that. But if Jack D Dorsey had a pony in that race and he wanted, for example, Howie Hawkins to become the next president, um, it's hard to say. But you're you're if we analyze the action and we don't analyze the reaction, uh, uh, which I think often is bigger than the action, he could, in, in the short term. And it might be enough at times. It depends. It's, it's really complex. But yes, by him taking some action against some politician, he could stifle their message down in a way for a short time that was detrimental to their campaign. Mm -hmm. But it's the reaction of when Twitter bans or censors or Facebook bans or censors or, or fact checks, that reaction is 10 times the action because it goes everywhere. And every time that happens, I always, I think to myself, why didn't you just let him tweet it? Less people would hear about it because anyone thinking that that was, uh, that they were censored, it just explodes across the, the blogosphere or whatever you want to say. So the fact that he's even in there and due to these little minor censorings uh, they did of, uh, of, of clearly censorable material at times, I think, you know, it's the reaction tends to be 10 times as much. So in my opinion, Jack Dorsey should just let the tweet go. I mean, you know, it was pretty much a free for all, but anytime he is censored, it's exploded in the media. There's too much media right now. If Twitter, if this was 1987 and there was Twitter and newspapers and the three channels, um, he would be a much bigger player than he is. But here it's right in front of us. Everything, we immediately know when he has taken down Trump's tweet or whatever. And, and so I didn't even know about the tweet. I'm not even on Twitter, but now I got to know about it. Now I have to check it out because Twitter wouldn't ban it. 
and I would never hmm. even know, you know. So hmm. it's the reaction tends to be bigger than the action in regards to Twitter. Well, I never looked into it. What was the, what was the tweet that he banned? He's banned. I, I can't remember what they are right now. He's banned half a dozen um, Trump tweets. Interesting. And that's really that's really why he was there um, because of that. But but in my in my opinion, I have no problem with him doing it. I thought his answer was kind of dumb, but I have no problem with him doing it. He's a private company. And he has to live with the consequences of his actions with his company. And I have no problem, Twitter, Facebook, uh, fact-checking, obvious things. But whenever you do that, you increase, you increase the probability of you making a mistake. What if that something ended up being true? So, but I have no problem with them doing it. They're private organizations. They can ban wherever they want. But you brought up an interesting point. So when you said that, Twitter was a private company, President Trump and many other world leaders actually use Twitter as their, as their primary means of communicating directly with their public. It's, it's kind of their voice in the world. Should that be a private company? When you have, I remember when that so-called Arab Spring took place, it was social media that was driving all of those rebellions around the Arab world. If that had been censored, those things would not have happened. Do you feel like it should be a private company that someone can say, well, no, this world leader does not get to speak on this subject. And we're erasing that tweet and fact-checking this other one and putting a notice in there. Is that the job of a private citizen to regulate public and free and open speech? Uh, on their medium? Absolutely. Well, what um, if it, so my free speech, I guess, free speech is free speech is free speech. You and I are not allowed to tell Jack Dorsey what he can do on Twitter. Twitter is one of many very powerful, influential media sources. And the bigger you, um, 10, you know, the, the, you know, it depends on how you want to, uh, um, you know. I can think of three. You can find any way to get information out now. Twitter, Twitter is actually not even used by lots of people, but. You, you, have the, you have freedom of speech in this country and it shall not be abridged. And he can, he can do what he wants with his company. The federal government cannot um, infringe on your free speech. If Twitter becomes less valuable to us based on this censoring that is risky, the, the censoring that he's doing is risky. Uh, they'll go somewhere else, like Parler is already blowing up for conservatives and stuff like that but but no he has he has every right to do whatever he wants with with twitter twitter is not a public utility we don't we don't make cnn a public utility we don't make facebook a public utility we don't make the internet a public utility uh well i mean the content on the internet it's like flag burning um i'm 100 behind anyone that wants to burn the flag as an expression of their freedom you know what we are either free or we are not and frankly that i i would like to know every person that wants to ban the flag because i they're obviously mentally deranged but there's no way that we can force them not you know uh take that right away from them what would you think about creating a kind of free speech alternative to social media, to the current social media platforms that kind of mirrored them in framework 
and just well, they're doing that right now. The 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 the, the exodus to parlor uh, by conservatives is heavy duty. Have, 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 have you not seen that on Facebook? People saying they moved to parlor. Here's my handle. No, I've not seen that. Uh, I don't really go on Facebook too much. What is, but it's uh, only it's for good. conservatives. It sounds like. No. It, well, it's parlor is a Twitter like um, forum where there's no censoring right now. It, it started kind of apolitical, but now it's become very conservative. The, the better, the better mousetrap will be built if, if it's necessary. And a lot of people are moving over to that. Look, Twitter has been the Wild West and will continue to be the Wild West. The, this censoring thing is a small time. Twitter, over its life, because someday it will be gone, will not just be perfect for everyone the whole time. So if, it's, if he's going to start censoring Twitter, he's going to undo what made it so popular. Mm-hmm. So some of the stuff that's going on right now, I think he's rethinking. Dorsey even said he, he thought it was a mistake. Uh, one of the president's recent tweets, censoring it. And I agree with him. It should go out there. Um, but hopefully it goes away. But you, you, we, have, we have so many choices to consume media and to express our view. Twitter's a huge one. And the bigger you are, the more popular you are, the more value you have to the person trying to get their word out. I totally understand that, but you know, I, I hope that he stops censoring. Or mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with this fact check thing, meaning just tag something along with it, but let the tweet stand. Mm-hmm. You know that I have no problem if if I own Twitter, some of the garbage that come, came out of Trump's tweets, I I would fact check that just for people to know that, look, this is not, this is demonstrably not true. Mm-hmm. And he's the president. He's not going to fact check me because mm-hmm. who the heck am I? But the president is a unique individual. And so some of his tweets were, were banned. They should not have been. They should be fact checked or whatever. Throw, throw, tag something up there. They, that's fine. Can I ask you something? Did they find any of Trump's tweets that were demonstrably true? Because I've yet <laughs> to see one, honestly. <laughs> you're, you're right that really is the uh, yeah that is the challenge with trump i remember uh, now what what i was trying to um refer to joe biden's son lost his laptop evidently at a uh, repair shop and twitter and facebook i think both banned any sharing of the washington post story on that topic new, new york post remember not the washington post okay new york post thank you yeah, yeah jack dorsey apologized for that that, yes. was, that was the that was the one. Yeah, um, th- there, there's a there's a reason why, and I and I'm not justifying his reason, but th- you know this was being shopped around. So Jack Dorsey, Twitter, Facebook, they had time to look at it, check with their media uh, contacts. At, at you know Fox News passed on it, um, so they they had they had time to see. What the what the major media outlets were doing with it, plus just re, just on its face when you read about it, it just sounds absurd. You know, there's something fishy. You know, they, they saw that all the major media were passing on it. It went to the New York Post, which is it's a tabloid. Then the author of the article wouldn't wouldn't sign on wouldn't sign on it. They gave it some ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. So, I am not saying that he should have done that, but this had all the earmarks of something that you could. But it's risky to do that. What if you're wrong? What if mm-hmm. what if this Hunter Biden thing has legs? 
And I, look, Hunter Biden, I'm sure is, he's, he appears to be a creep to me and by everything I've read about him. But if you just, just for a moment, shall we, shall we dive in just for a second? Hunter Biden, who lives in California, drops off three laptops to a rabid Trump supporter in Delaware with compromising information on the laptops. And then when the, when the owner of the computer repair place multiple times tries to get a hold of Hunter Biden, but Hunter just won't seem to come get him. And then the computer shop owner just so happens to know people who know Rudy Giuliani. And then they- Well, that's just that, but there's no reason for you to access image files on right. someone else's computer. That's extremely- That's right. Yeah. That's and, right. And, uh, oh, oh, uh, Steve, he was, he was legally blind. Oh, well, that's, I'm legally blind without my glasses. So that's, Oh, that's don't, don't make excuses for him. He was legally blind and he couldn't even say it was Hunter Biden. Yeah. But I mean, there was, a, there was enough wrong with that story that most everybody passed on it. I'm not saying it should have been, but whenever you censor, you take a risk mm-hmm. as, a, you as know, a private company. I wasn't even thinking about talking about this, but it really brings up a, an interesting moral topic, which is uh, using so-called hacked or stolen material when a bombshell story is released and you find out that it was gathered by, let's say, illegal or unsavory ways. And, but it was released nonetheless. It's, it's out there. Are we supposed to just pretend that information didn't come out? Are we supposed to listen to the news anchor who says, it's illegal for you to read these emails, but since I'm in the news, I can read it and tell you what to think about it. Or is it legitimate for people to read these things, discuss them, and form opinions based upon them? Yeah, especially like uh, Snowden and Julian Assange. Uh, I am of the opinion, and it's not a perfect opinion, or, or the results um, is not perfect, but I am of the opinion that all information, you know, Snowden released secret information for the government in a whistleblower type action. And without whistleblowers, we don't learn about a lot of stuff. And by my understanding of, of Snowden's information that uh, you know, secret agents, uh, intelligence operations were compromised, people's lives were in danger, that, that kind of thing. And, and I do understand that that, that, is a, that that can be a risk of this type of operation. Was Snowden even a good person? I don't know. You know, I watched him on uh, uh, one of your competitors, Joe Rogan. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think he made some good points. It's imperfect, but I think information uh, that can show criminal intent or criminal activity, even if it comes out as against the law, I think, I think the public has a right to hear it. Mm-hmm. and see it, you know, within reason. Look, we have ceded to the government uh, the responsibility for handling our protection. And part of that protection is covert operations that need to remain covert. But like any government, uh, our government is going to do things that are that we would ask them not to do if we knew about it, maybe. Mm-hmm. But that's how governments operate, because power is corrupting and absolute power is absolutely corrupting but we've seeded this it's a not it's not a perfect situation but uh, in my opinion it needs to come out mm-hmm. and uh and i bet you four out of five four out of five times good will come from it but 
you know, you always take a risk, you know, someone could be hurt because of this information. And, and, and I understand, I, I hate to, you know, I hate that that's the facts, but, mm-hmm. but if someone feels in their own scruples that the government is doing wrong, um, that's why we have whistleblower protections. All those, <laughs> yeah, well, we do, we do. Um, yes, I know they're called the, the Espionage Act and Chelsea Manning could tell you a lot about those protections, so, many others. Um, I think my, my thought when you mentioned what you said about the, the agents that whose lives are put in danger, I imagine an agent who is, you know, working to protect this country and putting his life on the line or hers, and then finds out, wow, that operation that I went on in Ukraine where my comrade was killed and I nearly lost my life, that was to protect an oil company's profits on natural gas. I, that's what I think about is those people deserve to know as well. Those people are, if they're doing something that's illegal and it's not benefiting the country, they should know. And the idea that because a government agency says something is top secret and should never be released, that that's a huge power to have. Yeah. And so if 20 years later, it turns out, oh, you know what? That was actually just to preserve some private individual's wealth. And yep. it really wasn't anything to deal with, you know, with public safety or was, or just because you wanted just to steal a bunch more money. The people who okayed that remaining secret, they're traitors to their country. If you think about it on a very, on a very deep level, they're taking this, this awesome privilege and responsibility and they're perverting it in a way that actually chips away at what it means to be America. It makes America less, less American. And they should be brought up on very serious capital charges, in my opinion, no matter how long it's been, if they knew that this was bullshit and they signed off on keeping it a national secret for national security purposes, which it seems like that's what they say about every little thing. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever seen a redacted document, but it just looks like the person likes to get high on marker fumes who, who redacted it because it's nothing but black spaces with meaningless words in between. It's, it's insane. It's the opposite of transparency. Anyway, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to. No, I I totally agree with you. That's, that's why I'm totally for there's, there's risks to doing that. But I think if people want to come forward with, with information that they believe, whatever American entity institution is doing things that they believe is not for the American interest, they, they have to be able to do that. Yeah. And Chelsea Manning, you know, her, her, she was railroaded, but she was commuted eventually. Um, but um, yeah, you, as the whistleblower, there's, there's lots of whistleblowers. And I think and she's actually of, back in prison now. And I don't know, but most whistleblowers are protected. Some are not, mm-hmm. but uh, it, you know, it needs to be in the public domain. Uh, we cede that power to the government, but we know when we do it, they're going to fuck it up. And they're going to line their pockets or a certain percentage. I think there's, I've come to understand and believe over the years that there's lots of good politicians, you know, that uh, there's lots of good politicians, but there's always the louder ones tend to be the ones with that are the most compromised because to get popular as a politician, you have to just about say anything, mm-hmm. but there's, there's lots of quiet politicians that, don't make a real big name for themselves and pretty much serve their country and, and all that. Lots of civil servants too, but we cede that power to the government and 
and whistleblowing is just one of the only checks we have. So you feel that whistle, like the ability for whistleblowers to remain safe, protected, has to be preserved. Yeah, has to be preserved. Yeah, they have to go through court. You, you you realize when you do that, when you when you're a whistleblower, you damn well better be right. And I and and I I think that high bar has to remain. But mm-hmm. um, you know, most whistleblowers, we, we need to protect them and inspectors general and different things like that you know the federal government is has so many checks and balances in it um that it really takes a herculean effort to uh really do something bad for a really really long time um that's out of sight besides intelligence work and and even that we oftentimes find out about it We are back and recording again with Brian Biskner. We were just talking about the the wonderful documentary called The Matrix and uh, the Merovingian who thinks that swearing is swearing in French is like you're raping us with silk. Um, yeah, I always tell people that uh, you know, and it was kind of getting to a point I was hoping we could get to, but we'll maybe you can maybe we can pick up sure. this conversation again. But uh, I always tell people when they're when they're going off the deep end about what's going on with current events and stuff like that. And I always say, you know, you're good until they rename the internet Skynet. <laughs> the minute they do that, yeah, it's coming. you, you know, we're done. Yeah. The, the, the fix is in, but you know, kind, kind of where, kind of where we want to circle back to my really important and personal journey. Mm-hmm. Um, through through the years, I've come to learn about, and it, it really it really came, it really came out of uh, um, formal debates uh, and things like that. Uh, understanding the logical fallacy, hmm. you know that's you know Aristotle and his Merry Men uh, identified uh, identified about forty of them, and uh, understanding logical fallacies and really the top ten logical fallacies. Like hmm. f- for me if I could help anyone. Is that like the straw man and the slippery slope? And uh, yeah, yeah. Straw man. I love, love, love the excluded metal. Uh, yeah, definitely straw man. Uh, um, logical fallacies. They're, they're, they're used in debate. And, and all it says is that your conclusion might even be correct, but your logic was flawed because mm-hmm. of these logical fallacies. And, and that's how debates or attorneys do this or use it all the time to, to break, break apart arguments that they're, that they're hearing when they get up to talk and reorganize thoughts for the jury and things. But um, logical fallacies, real, you know, like Google the top 10 logical fallacies. Mm-hmm. And then also Google top 10, and these are just starting points, top 10 cognitive biases. Mm-hmm. Sure. When, when you learn about, if you, you don't even have to know what their names are, but if, but the top 10 cognitive biases that all human beings suffer from and the top 10 logical fallacies that people tend to make over and over again and not know they are, it just changes your perspective on watching advertising, watching Mm. politics, watching everything, because people have a tendency to, because their own cognitive biases tend to, tend to fall prey to logical fallacies. Uh, I got a problem. School talk, Top 10 logical f- fallacies, and it came up with top 10 logical fallacies. 
And it's not, well, I don't that, think that's what you meant. No, that that that's your problem with your own Google algorithm. Uh, uh, everything you do takes you right to Pornhub. I know. <laughs> but gotcha. you, you know, it's like uh, talking with someone recently talking about Trump's performance over coronavirus and the Bob Woodward recordings, you know, and the assertion that are the only two choices that Trump creates a panic or that he has to lie are the only two choices, uh, apocalypse or lying. No, there is the middle ground where you could just level with the people and see what happens. Mm-hmm. That's, that's called law of the excluded middle, meaning the only two choices you have are the two extremes. No, as a matter of fact, why don't we just tell the truth um, in a metered way so we don't cause a panic, but level with the American people. Hey, look, we've got a little, we've got some trouble coming up. I want you to be prepared for it because I'm a real leader. But no, it, he doesn't want to start a panic, so he lies. No, he could have told the truth in a, in a conscientious way. So that was, a, he, he committed a logical fallacy trying to take advantage of people's natural cognitive biases and especially um, confirmation bias mm-hmm. by his own people. Because Trump never really leads the country. He only leads his group. You know, I That's- find that very, uh, yeah, I think that is, a, you've hit upon a crucial problem with our, with our world today is that pro-Trump or anti-Trump now. There's nobody in this world that can look at Trump objectively listen to what he says. I, I think we've lost that middle ground where we can say, like Trump could come out and say, okay, let's all inject bleach in our, in our veins and uh, have just a moment where you say, well, maybe that would work. Is that a good idea? Should we look into that? Is it, you know, um, and, and if anyone's listening to this, please do not inject bleach into your veins, but. Uh, oh, I already did Steve. I'm sorry. <laughs> good. You're, you're a, a hero of mankind and scientific. Uh, I'm going to prove it doesn't work. Pioneer. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. In my opinion, my humble opinion of all the things that are going on right now, I think it's the challenge of our age, given the amount of information that we have to choose from, is people cannot discriminate good and bad information. And, and when I say that, I mean, Claims are probabilistic by their nature. And when you hear a claim, people are not very good, depending on who it came from and what it says, they're not very good at going at discriminating whether that's good or bad information or, or that, or that someone is trying to take advantage of my bias. You know, you know, Donald Trump is the premier gaslighter that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And that's because the audience that he's trying to gaslight willfully get gaslit. They, they, they do not care at all whether it's true. They do not care. And he takes advantage of them. And, you know, that, to, you know, that Trump is a special case, but it's the challenge of our age. I mean, how, how does flat earth even bubble up? You know, how, how, how does so many of these different things that you can find on the internet, how, how do they bubble up? How do they gain a foothold and become ideas on the internet? It's because people really struggle with, with information mm-hmm. and, and how to discriminate against it, d- discriminate it from good, good from bad. And then like with white supremacy and other groups that, that need a way to communicate 
to grow and to stay and to stay vital. You know, if you're on an island, it's hard. It's it's hard to be a white supremacist alone on an island, mm-hmm. right? You need the internet to to do that. And people, these these little these little subgroups, they they just kind of grow and grow. And next thing you know, you got a bunch of goofballs uh, believing a bunch of wild shit. And it, it's the challenge of our age. I think you can you can manipulate people very easily because they desire to be manipulated. They have the tools, but they don't use them. Like if you were to take a flat earther and tell him to go buy a used car, mm-hmm. he might he might have the tools in his toolbox to make that used car salesman cry. But now you put him back in his uh, metaphysical or political realm, whatever it is, and all he wants to do is hear people, he just wants to be in his bubble or she. And have their crazy Bias ideas confirmed. confirmed. Yeah. Yep. That, and, and to me, that's the challenge of our age, in my, in my opinion, is people being able to discrim, discriminate about uh, information. Mm-hmm. I have read that the millennials are better at it than older folk. Mm-hmm. And I hope that's true because it's it really seems, important. It almost seems like it has to be the case because when you and I were much younger, there were three networks and they all had their fatherly news anchor who told you the truth in the world and what was the way it is. That's, uh, that was Walter Cronkite sign off. That's the way it is. So uh, January 22nd, 1979. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that was the way it is. We know now that that's the way the network told Walter Cronkite to say it is. And some of that was influenced maybe by the government, some by the sponsors and some by the biases of the network executive core and the millennials. However, uh, let me let, been, me let me interrupt you just for a minute. However, mm-hmm. you just can't make a dent in a half hour. While it was selected news, you know, some round table of white men selected that news, they just didn't go very far off the reservation. They, they only had so much time to tell you the news. So I mm, think we were good point. We were we didn't get enough. And you had the newspapers, but often it was days old. But it just it was harder to have have these cockamamie theories get out very far, but now they are. And uh, we had uh, not enough information. And I mean, just think about 1979, you've got the three networks, you've got newspapers. So you want some partisan commentary. You've got to get, you've got to get a subscription to the nation and the weekly standard. And then you have to read both uh, to find out about tariffs you know, it was just hard <laughs> to to get to deep dive. We can not nowadays we can deep dive, deep dive like crazy, but then you could become an anti-vaxxer or you could become a flat earther. And you know, the axiom like, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence is true. And, and to me, that's the challenge of our age. You need to come up with a, a really slick sign-off, Steve. Like maybe even like now. Well, no, no, uh, for not not this second, but. Uh, um, uh, j- just, I want to get back onto on talking about signing off and you, you need to come up with a really cool, uh, sign off. I liked what I said at the end of the episode one, it was something and be good to each other. I forget what it was. I'll be safe and be good to each other. Yeah. Well, that is good. Yeah. That, that's, that's nice. I got that from Bill and Ted. <laughs> be excellent to each other. Yeah. Yeah. They formed the core of my personal philosophy. <laughs> be excellent to each other and party on. When it gets right down to it, I really do believe that. I think human existence, what we're really here for is to make a more pleasant world for our brothers and sisters. And when you think about it, the people that you know, 
the people that you care about, the people you love, the people in your family, the people that you work with, you'll bring in the guacamole for the potluck. Not because you want to gain uh, status within the community. It's because you love them and you want them to enjoy that delicious guacamole that you make, you know? I thought it was and, because avocados look like genitalia, but go ahead. We, digre- we digress. I hope your genitalia, be- oh, we're back on Epstein again. Does not look like an <laughs> avocado. <laughs> no, but I mean, like when you, when you think about the actions that we take in our personal lives that are wholly voluntary, almost 99% of them are to do something nice for someone else that we care about. And when you extrapolate that to the fact that the better you know someone, the more you care about them, the, the more you're able to empathize with them. I think, the, I think the most steadfast, diehard conservative, if they were actually stranded on a deserted island with a so-called welfare queen or a, or a homeless person, those two people would become the closest of friends eventually if, mm-hmm. if they didn't kill the other one right away. And it's because human beings are programmed to love and they're programmed to share and to, and to be excellent to each other. And I think what human society is eventually going to evolve into is a society where every action that's taken is to generate a better world for, for everyone around that person. And it's only the need to earn a living and the need to protect yourself from scoundrels that has us doing anything else in this world. And uh, so, yeah, I think their ethos of be excellent to each other and party on, it's what we should live by. And uh, Rufus was right. You know, (laughs) one of my favorite people, Rufus. Yep. No, I I agree. Totally. If you're, if if you are not making a positive contribution uh, of being caring and loving and taking, taking care of your people saying, you know, I always try to say a kind thing to the the person working behind the cash register to get, you know, have a great evening, something like that. I, 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 I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to be part of the problem. And um, I, I do believe that that we are hardwired for that. Unfortunately, we're also hardwired for tribalism. And uh, we have a real problem with extending the boundaries of our tribal circle. Mm-hmm. And I think because we're we're programmed 200,000 years of, you know, you couldn't survive in this world without your tribe. Yeah. And it's only been the last 50, hundred years that that's not really the case anymore. And you can really survive uh, autonomously. Uh, you don't have to be part of a tribe or a religion or a, or a faction or whatever, you know, the West kind of leading the way, but uh, other countries kind of following along. You know, tribalism is something that used to save our life, but now it is making our life hell. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have to, a good example is I always, I always think of Dick Cheney, who was so staunchly uh, against gay marriage, and then he had a lesbian daughter. And oops, now he's for it. So mm-hmm. yeah, empathizing pe- with people in our tribe uh, is, is how we get better. Or, or people been, outside of our tribe. You know, I think that tribalism... I think that's what makes America the success that it has been. I think the federalist concept is really what is unique and beautiful about America is that you can have your individuality, you can have your right. uh, tight-knit small group, and then also love the people in Nevada who are snake handlers and on crack not, <laughs> or whatever. You what, know. Do you, what do you got against Nevada? <laughs> 
you know, you can like, you can still love them because they, whatever it is that America agrees upon. And one of the things is tolerance. And one of the things is loving thy neighbor. You know, if we can all agree on those things, we can have a huge country. And I, I think worldwide, it should be that way. I think we could have not like a George Soros type world government. Uh, not necessarily world government, but a, but a confederation of shared values. I, yeah. I, I like, I like decentralization of the government as much as possible. And, Absolutely. And, and why you're, I am right with you on the federalism. It's so important to uh, break apart the Leviathan as much as you can. But shared values are, are, are where, to me, that's where you lower the tribal boundaries and say, look, I'm, I'm this, you're that, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to still respect you. That's why I've always been a free trader, because countries that trade with each other tend not to war with each other. Mm. You know, and by no means do I say trade is a panacea, but it's a great start to uh, to get cultures talking to each other. What I don't like about free trade is I like um, free trade, generally speaking, but when you have a disparity in in uh, wages, yeah. wages and pollution and OSHA and things like that, where. Right. Uh, well, yeah, you know, but, you know, you know, Steve, I, 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 let me just interrupt you for a minute. One thing about that, though, in what trade deals try to do and TPP and North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA, all the imperfections they have. Those trade deals were meant to take third world company countries and elevate those aspects that you're that you're bringing up exactly. Mm-hmm. E- even though they there's got to be a, a starting point, you know, you you can't you can't go to Bangladesh and say change all your factories and all your ways right now, or you can't be part of this trade deal. Mm-hmm. It's a walk before you can run type of situation. And and I'm not trying to defend any one particular trade deal or anything like that, but they all have environmental safety and labor things built in for two reasons: for human rights and because there's a disparity in the in the cost of labor in the United States as regard to Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. So these countries they they have to up their game to be part of the trade deal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and it's an imperfect system. It's political. It picks winners and losers. Maybe even corrupt at times. But in general, these trade deals are trying to do that. Mm. And well, well they do, yeah, but, but they're, they're they imperfect. Happen. And they're imperfect and they take generations to make a difference. Uh, like the North American free trade deal, it elevated uh, Mexico in a way that brought it much further out of the third world. And I'm not trying to defend those trade deals necessarily, but, but the, they do try to do that. But boy, dude, they're so complicated. Anything you want to tell the people to wrap it up? Um, I just want everyone to know how bad I want to snuggle with you. <laughs> same, same here. Same here. No, it was a great conversation, Steve. Uh, it, uh, it went way faster than I thought it would. And uh, I, I, I really appreciate you, you doing this. I, I think about doing this myself at times, but at uh, just not at that place where I'm going to take the time to do it, but um, I'm honored. And uh, I thank you very much for inviting me on here for the conversation. Well, thank you for coming, Brian. And actually, you're part of the reason I was able to do this. You are the man who slipped me my very first red pill and gave me the link to (laughs) Zeitgeist, the Zeitgeist movie. I learned all about the fractional reserve system and and all that. Um, I'm forever in your debt for that. And thanks so much for taking time out of your day with your family 
I think there's probably millions of, of people like you out there that we need to hear from. And I am honored that you chose to be with me on this conversation. My pleasure. Anytime. I look forward to the next one. Absolutely. You have a great evening, man. Okay. Take care. You too. Bye. Yep. Okay. That was Brian Bissner, an amazing guy and uh, my good friend. Thank you all for listening. Be safe. Be good to each other.